0: I'm just very, very lucky that my brother-in-law is a rabbi. Wow! I oh have my a gosh! Giant loophole in my life. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, that does make things a lot easier
1: because you you need a rabbi more often than you think. Are you planning a Jewish or interfaith wedding? Are you lost on where to even begin planning the ceremony, let alone finding a rabbi to help you? Well, it doesn't matter whether one of you is Jewish or you're both Jewish. You deserve a guide. So take a deep breath. I promise it will all be okay. Welcome to Your Jewish Wedding with Rabbi Leanne. Here, I can be everyone's rabbi, (laughs) yours too. My guests and I will share everything we know to help make your Jewish or interfaith wedding full of tradition and perfectly yours. Welcome, everyone, to Your Jewish Wedding Podcast. It is Rabbi Leanne here. It's cold but sunny, which you all know is my favorite. And my second favorite thing probably in the universe is having amazing interviews with people who work closely with Jewish weddings. And I'm so lucky today that we have Becca from Forever E. here with us today. Welcome, Becca. Thanks so much for having me, Leanne. That's the, that's the appropriate way to pronounce your name and all, right? You got it. Okay, fine. All right. So before I jump into this conversation with Becca, she designs and creates ketubas for couples, custom ketubas. We might not actually talk about ketubas all that much because I think we're passionate about adjacent issues. However, I just want to give a disclaimer at the beginning of this podcast that we are each individuals and that our conversation does not constitute uh, Jewish legal advice or decision-making. And that we may use the terms ketubahs and ketubot, both. We understand that the appropriate plural of the word ketubah is ketubah. However, American Jews usually say ketubahs. So just for y'all's information going forward. Is that, do you have anything you want to add?
0: No, I no. love it. I okay. love that you provide religious and cultural context. It makes me very happy. So thank you.
1: I slip between ketubahs and ketubot because the thing is that I feel like one of the things that Jewish professionals and rabbis can do to distance themselves from their community is sort of doing that annoying, like insisting on the correct pronunciation and not like blending into the conversation. So I just say ketubas a lot, whatever. Anyway. So Becca, can you just tell
0: us a little bit about, about yourself, whatever you'd like people to know? Sure. So, um, I guess, relevant to the conversation and even how I came to this, I was raised interfaith and um, I was I was famously interfaith because the Staten Island Advance featured my family when I was five years old and we got to pretend to eat chicken at dinner so they could take a picture of my, oh my raised Catholic agnostic dad and my Jewish mom. and um, And so interfaithness has been a part of my life for ever and ever, but I went Mm -hmm. to Hebrew school, I became a bat mitzvah, et cetera, et cetera. Um, For ages and ages, I was in the nonprofit space doing community arts work with women in prison and then adults with special needs. Um, And at some point in all of that, I got married. (laughs) And um, my husband was raised Jewish, but dabbled in, he dabbled in modern orthodoxy, then he dabbled in Buddhism um, at the time that we got married, I was pretty strongly identifying as an atheist Mm -hmm. and we, but we are both like the most sentimental people that you could imagine on the planet. Um, and so we had this thing of wanting to like have all of these traditions and be sort of traditional in our, how we did the traditions, but then also be completely authentic to ourselves. Um, and so we ended up writing our own all English ketubah. And then my mother-in-law does calligraphy. So she did the calligraphy for it. Um, and the s- design was super basic and then it ended up becoming the foundation for the first ketubah that I designed for other people. <sighs> okay. So um, you wrote, I feel like I should have a completely separate
1: episode just to talk to you about your wedding, but <laughs> because my wedding
0: it, was crazy. Like there see, are stories, so oh I'll, I can tell you.
1: All right. Well, if you can still stand me at the end of this hour, or so <laughs> then we'll then we'll then we'll rebook. Okay. Um, I wrote my own ketuba also, and I feel like it was such a crazy thing at the time, but now custom ketubas are so so normal. Yeah. So, wh- how long have you been working on ketubas? Like, how long has this been?
0: Yeah. So um, I'm in my fifth year of doing okay. this professionally. I got married ten years ago, so there was actually five years between me seeing that I didn't see myself and my marriage reflected in the Ketubah market. And then it took me five years and I looked back and there, I still didn't see people like me reflected in the Ketubah market. And I was like, maybe at this point I should um, do this. I should, I should make some for people like me. Um, And then it's, and it's grown a lot since then. But I think at the core, the people that I serve are the same, (laughs) who are people who really are sentimental, love tradition, love their family and their heritage, but also are not going to put on a different vision of religiosity for their wedding day. It is so
1: interesting when you say people like me, because as you were telling me the story about your husband you know, he dabbled in modern orthodoxy. He dabbled in Buddhism. He's still really staunchly along with his traditions. You were raised interfaith, which by the way, your father was raised Catholic. Catholics understand Jews so well, like the the religious lifestyles are so similar in terms of like the modes that those two stories, I feel like are some of the most common American Jewish stories for people in their thirties right now. So it's mind boggling to me that it was something that you hadn't even seen reflected in the industry. But what do you mean about
0: not seeing yourself reflected? Like, can you expand on that? For sure. So I think for me coming from an artistic background, not a theological background, I was looking for something that looked relevant to me that did not look like it came from a synagogue gift shop. Okay. (laughs) Did not look like something that someone's grandma got for them. Um, And didn't look, again, like something I wasn't. So something that looked like the other art in my home, or looked like it it had a message in the artwork that reflected either my faith, my views on relationships and marriage, or Mm -hmm. just what makes me feel connected. Um, And so I wasn't seeing that. And at the time that I started, I had like a very, very minimalist, I mean, like, (laughs) you can still see um, kind of aesthetic and I was looking for something that really like was text forward okay, and, and wasn't frilly and wasn't going to like age as trends changed. So that was my like first.
1: Yeah. You didn't want like the, like the teal and pink color blocking that screams like 1980s or whatever.
0: Right. But... And everything looked like stained glass to me. Like I love, mm-hmm. I love Reform synagogue. Like I miss, like I, I like, I love like nice carpet and I love mm-hmm. modern stained glass, but I didn't, didn't feel right in my house. The Reform Synagogue. Okay, this is wild. Complete like tangent.
1: But the ref- the biggest Reform Synagogue in Columbus, Ohio, famously had stained glass in like the fifties with Moses and and humans in it. Yeah, which is, she's making like a surprise face. It's it's a, so not a Jewish thing. Like our stained glass, if you're unfamiliar, it has like objects and like Hebrew letters in it. And it was like this big kerfuffle when they moved. Like what should well, first of all, they moved it from the sanctuary to like the little chapel because people were just up in arms like a couple generations later. Yeah. But then they moved buildings completely and they brought them along and they put the stained glass in like the atrium, like the like stained glass Moses in the yeah. atrium. But it's just so interesting to to see how um, sensibilities around art and how people can see art and feel something Um especially in a place where they are supposed to identify with the surroundings and then they don't, which I'm hearing is kind of like part of your.
0: Yeah. And I, and I, or it was okay for me to go there, but it wasn't for my home. Right. And so the Uh was like something intimate to me that was going to be like in my bedroom probably. Yeah. It didn't, it just didn't make sense for it to feel like something that a synagogue had like issued to me. Yeah.
1: Well, I wanted to, you know, if this is the first time someone's listening to your Jewish wedding podcast, and/or they have skipped my three episodes about ketubah, <laughs> and Listen so we—they're so good, <laughs> and so we can get Becca's perspective and additions. Can you just tell us what explain what's a ketubah?
0: Sure. So historically, uh, ketubah is a wedding, co- a marriage contract between two Jewish people, a man and a woman that are getting married, um, and it followed a very very specific Text um only in aramaic and outlined the husband's responsibilities for the wife to um if in the event of the dissolution of their marriage that she would be provided for so it was a prenup um but a ketubah today uh we have beautifully riffed on that tradition to a great degree. And so now Jewish couples and interfaith couples use the ketubah as a contemporary marriage contract where they outline their commitments to each other and sign it as part of their ceremony. And often, especially in this latter revised tradition, it is a beautiful piece of art. That is so, that is so beautifully put because you,
1: because I can feel like your sense for our tradition because you said it's a contemporary marriage contract, still a contract. But it's just the way I differentiate it from, I usually put it opposite when I'm talking to couples, I usually put it opposite vows, like vows are speak to emotions and your ketubah speaks to the everyday. So it's interesting that we've kept that document that outlines obligations and rewritten it in a way that shows that we understand that acts like physical acts and day to day is also an expression of love. And I think that's something cool about like the Jewish wedding in general is that we have that, we have that ketubah. Cool. So they can't see us. Video recording in the podcast world is just, I know everybody, I know I'm supposed to be doing video and that's like the cutting edge. I just can't get it together. I don't, it just makes so many other problems in my life and who needs more tzuris, right? Like nobody needs more problems. So, (laughs) so for today, but uh, you didn't. See the artwork that Becca was referring to on her wall. It is very cool. It's minimalist, um like cream and black uh geometric some maybe some sort of free form shapes in in the grid pattern. It's very cool. I for those of our listeners who have not looked at your website and done their homework before
0: listening, can you just describe your designs? Sure. Um so we have spectrum it's not a huge spectrum of design but uh, we start on the minimalist side so we have designs that are text only um, I come from a printmaking background so I really love nice paper that's why I, <laughs> my company is called for every paper um, and so we have designs that are just text that are super minimal and then we have I work with about a dozen now artists around the world who make art that is very inspired by nature. So we have abstract painters and printmakers and a woman out of Amsterdam, Ruth who does cyanotypes with real flowers that are amazing. And so um, we feature their work and then design the text around their art and we create uh, ketubas with all of that. So I would say all of our imagery is grounded in nature in some way just because that's probably the largest gateway to spirituality for myself and what I just um, gravitate towards. And yeah, that's us. So we're definitely in the contemporary sort of modernist space, but there's a variety in there of like things that are more abstract and more organic.
1: It's appropriate because as you know, the Jewish wedding ceremony is almost completely centered on the topic of creation. It's like the, like getting married is seen as taking say, taking part in the act of creation so cool I didn't know that there were other artists on your
0: site I thought it was all you well that would be incredible but no
1: <laughs> so do, uh, you, do you know so- that text only ketubas are actually an old Sephardic tradition no yeah they were only illuminated I learned this for when I was yeah. doing my podcast episode they were only illuminated in like the European diaspora. Um, and I think that the Sephardic custom was, they, they thought it was kind of crass to put all the like stained glass artwork around it and stuff. So it's very cool, especially if a couple has, now I'm giving you advice that you didn't ask for, especially if a couple has Sephardic roots and they're having this feeling like, I feel kind of weird, but I don't really want that much art. You can tell them like, it's, 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 in it's part of your heritage. It's fine. I was looking at your site and I have to say I didn't expect this, but the ketubah that struck me the most was the one where the whole design, artwork and text was off center. And there was a lot of empty space. And I'm not typically the type of person who feels things from art. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's okay. Um, (laughs) Especially not, you know, unsolicited. (laughs) <laughs> but I saw it and I've seen a kajillion Ketubas and there are so many Ketuba designers. And that one just made me stop. And it did feel like it hit me a little bit. Do you ever have people hop on with you for for a consulting call or email you
0: because one of your pieces made them feel something? For sure. I would say that I get maybe 20% of my inquiries, people are having strong feelings, <laughs> which Wow, is amazing. Um, I, and I think it really comes down to that, like seeing yourself, like you're looking and you're looking and you're looking. And thank goodness for the internet. We have a zillion ketubah options. Like you can find a ketubah for you. And I can help. I, I'm really happy to help people find yeah. the ketubah. If it's not us, that's great. But like, I think that there are people... Maybe of the millennial generation um, <laughs> who <laughs> have made other art choices for their home and are have an aesthetic predisposition, right? They like mm-hmm. they go through life really caring about how things look. And when they find us, they say like, ah, yes. <laughs> and, oh, good. Um, and it is great um, because as I said, like, that's why I did it, like to find myself mm-hmm. in the Judaica sphere where I didn't see myself. So to make that connection for people is very cool. So you say like, I'm getting the vibe that
1: what you mean by seeing themselves in the artwork is sort of like an aesthetic or preferential thing Yeah. in terms of the personal. Do you have any stories you can tell us about maybe an interfaith couple or an intercultural couple that came to you and said, this is it. We've hit the jackpot
0: with you. Yes, let me think for a moment because it's so many of. So, I'm working on a piece right now. I want to be v- as vague as possible because it's custom, of um, but it's actually like a gift for a couple. But we're working with the couple and their sister, um, and the sister saw our um, sequoia piece which oh. is tree ring. is like a print of tree rings mm-hmm. uh, by an awesome artist named Eric Linton. And she was like, she like saw a thumbprint in it. She was like, she could like see that the tree rings reflected like fingerprint. Um, pattern, Yeah. Yeah. The and pattern the groom is a tattoo artist. And, um, and she was like, Oh, he works with hands and whatever. And so now we're working on a custom piece. That's like Based on that level of close up, but of their fingerprints together, um, which is really cool. So that's just one that sticks out in my mind. They're actually not interfaith, but um, <laughs> but that that's one where like it really struck the sister as relevant to them, and then it did okay. fit with the couple. Um, let me think of interfaith specific couple. As I said, it's like so much of who we work with. I think that what maybe stands out to people, on top of the aesthetic, are our texts. Actually, like that's what okay. Where we have people say like they have an emotional connection because of the interfaith piece. That's so cool. Tell us about your texts. Okay, cool. So um, we have a little collection of signature texts. Um, the first that's like our formal text was actually based on what my husband and I wrote for our wedding, um, and so it's like I would say it has like a pretty reverent tone, okay. um, but still talks about like life and death and building a community and all mm. of these things. Um, it was very much grounded in like both of us having an artistic background and wanting to like encourage each other creatively, wow. but still be a foundation and things like that. So oh, I adore then, that. Thanks. And then we have um, a text that's grounded in mindfulness. Um, one of the greatest things that I've found in my um, like personal spiritual searching is the amount of overlap there is between um, like Eastern mindfulness traditions and Jewish tradition book, Uh, god in your body Jay michelson i think oh okay we'll put it in the show notes um, (laughs) and so there's a mindfulness text and it like the end says like more basically like more than anything we like wish for commit ourselves to like the courage to begin when we forget all this we want like the courage to begin again over and over like every day um and then we have a social justice text that um, talks about Takuna Lam. And so I think that, like, especially the latter two allow interfaith couples to get down to the root of how their spirituality interfaces with their faith tradition or with their marriage, with their beliefs about love and where they might have really big overlaps in that Venn diagram. Okay. So That might be like about service or it might be about um sort of stillness. Um, but I think that that's where I've had people say, yes, <laughs> that's so good. So are your texts, is it like a mix and
1: match situation? Like, is it like you can kind of Lego build your Katuba text?
0: Yes. Wow. So we offer these as like a framework um, or as a suggestion, but my, my recommendation, we also have a very robust guide to writing your own text on our site um, because I'm just a huge fan of that. So all the time we're, putting together pieces, either people will slightly revise the text that we've written, or they'll, they'll put together like a puzzle, as you said, um, Wow! each. And that's just all standard. Like that was really important to me when I started the business was that there would not be, I don't want to say a penalty, but it's not extra to do a custom text. To me, that's Mm -hmm. great. I encourage it. So it's just part of the deal. So you really
1: are doing like the trendy values-based decision-making and applying it to the process of, of creating your own Ketuvah.
0: Yes. I would say that for me, I am about 10% of where I'd like to be in terms of everything being values based. Like I, I'm like like very, 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 there's very little separation between my heart and my work. Like I, so I just, Mm. we're just on an ever pushing path. Right. Of
1: course. I think the cool thing about Judaism I know we're talking about ketubas, but Judaism in general is that we are, we've been around a long time. And obviously there are layers of Jewish civilization, and that brings changes in philosophy and tradition and the approach to all kinds of things. And so I think it's actually possible to start by asking just about an individual's values and then locating the corresponding one in Jewish tradition. And I think if they meet with a person like you, who can sort of unlock that a little bit for them, then that can actually create a stronger connection to Judaism where maybe there wasn't one before. So that's really that's a really valuable offering you had. Have you ever had a couple call you up and say we're not sure if we want one? I haven't actually. No, they already um, decide before they call is, you. Yeah,
0: I think that people find me because they're looking for one. Um I will say that a minority, but it makes me really excited when there's a couple that sees it as like the heart of their their ceremony and are really serious about it. Right. Um, but there are people that come to me like really intense. And then there are others that are, see it as something that is a box to check.
1: Yeah. Can you just that's kind fun. of handle it for us? Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure that's actually, that is pretty much my reflection on what I do also. Um, And what I do find though, in the process of planning, people do get attached to the ceremony and to the symbols and stuff in ways that they did not expect. Now, in terms of interfaith couples and ketubahs, a lot of times I speak to couples and if they're interfaith, the Jewish person in the couple will say, they'll have sort of a self-consciousness about it. And they view a ketubah as something that's antiquated and outdated. And they're obviously not antiquated and outdated because they're not even marrying a Jewish person. Yeah. And so I think they kind of make the assumption that that's automatically not for us. The The interesting thing is that I'll either have the Jewish person and the couple sometimes say, my fiance wouldn't understand it and I don't want to make him feel uncomfortable. So no. And you'll have fiance right next to, to the person saying like, I think this is great. Like, Rabbi, <laughs> can you tell us more about it? Like, please. Um, or the the non-Jewish person just w- wants to learn more about it in general and wants to be more involved than maybe the Jewish person who just wanted to check the box. So I think a lot of that is just out of... it's it's. I think it's extraordinary when a non-Jewish person marries a Jewish person because it's not easy to attach yourself to the Jewish community in terms of just your your life, right? And, and we're seeing now it's especially not that easy in America to be attached to a Jewish person. But what I see from these people, obviously they love their fiancés, but it's a wholehearted kind of love and it manifests in conversations with me as like, we love Judaism too because the person we're marrying is Jewish. Have you noticed like anything, any experiences similar to that?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I think I've seen it not just in my in my work, but like in, because people find out what I do and then they look at my website and then they tell me about like, Oh, my, you know, my son is dating someone not Jewish. They like mm-hmm. confess to me because like, yes, the baby boomer generation. Um, and they're, they're like holding this as stress. And I'm like, do not, do not, uh-huh. do not stress, hun. Um, but they'll say, you know, Oh my gosh, but she bakes the best challah, <laughs> or, um, like you just see that, love for tradition come through and it is like there there is so much richness to connect to and like my dad grew up going to catholic school but he was like in brighton beach brooklyn and so like my dad was more yiddish than anybody (laughs) (laughs) um and so like i wouldn't say my dad is like a like a lover of jewish tradition but like without no like not like he wouldn't say it but like he is like he like took it on so um yeah definitely and i think that When I've worked with interfaith couples who are doing a a portion of it in a like in a collaborative aspect. So either we're doing a custom piece or they're writing their own text, it is absolutely not like the Jewish member of the couple leading the charge. It is like totally both. Um, and we've had I've had like a healthy number of um couples where the non-Jewish member of the couple is the one initiating the whole thing, the whole relationship yeah. with us from the beginning and they yeah. do come to it like help I don't know and I tell them like listen no one that comes to me knows like you're not behind the eight ball on ketubah knowledge we don't go over this in Hebrew school like no about- oh exactly i have no. so
1: many i also have a lot of jews they i in interfaith relationships i think they feel like there's an additional burden on them to to have all the Jewish knowledge for the sake of their fiance. Sometimes I get so many apologies that I don't know anything about Jewish weddings. I'm like, did you grow up in the shtetl and fiddler on the roof? Of course you don't know about Jewish weddings. Why would you? So that's what people like you and I are here for. I think I will tell you, I will tell our audience and I think they already know, but interfaith marriage is, it's one of those things in the American liberal Jewish community that. I think people just don't talk about because they know it's so fraught for so many people, but in completely different ways. I will tell you, and I've confessed on, I've done my own confession on this podcast before. When I first graduated from rabbinical school in 2008, I was one of those people who would, I would do a gay wedding, but never an interfaith wedding. Never. Because we had had the population survey in the year 2000 that freaked everyone out that said that 52% of non-Orthodox Jews were marrying somebody who wasn't Jewish. And there was this, I think, instinct that we had to just lock it down and make it stop. (laughs) Now, anybody who's been a parent will tell you you can't make anyone do anything. (laughs) Now it's 70%. Now it's 72. Thank you. Now it's 72%. Oh, 70.
0: Just 70. Yeah. Is it only 70? I believe. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, that was, I think, like... Three or four years ago, it's like a Brandeis survey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was the Brandeis one. And then there was
1: also the Pew.
0: Okay. So so maybe I'm thinking
1: there's, yeah, there were two and they were like the same year. So, uh, but the, the really interesting part was that of those intermarried couples, almost two thirds were raising their children as Jews. Which effectively, the, and this is wild, I'm not a math person, yeah. effectively meant that they had doubled the Jewish identifying population within a generation via interfaith marriages. Yeah. So the thing that we thought was going to destroy us, and anybody who looks back at the, the 2020 Jewish National Population, or 2000 Jewish National Population Survey, and the media about it, there were people saying, this is a second holocaust. They're going to do things to our community that Hitler only dreamed. I mean, really inflammatory. Yeah. Um, and and I think some people truly believed it. And honestly, I kind of believed it too. But I'm also a person who loves data. And you cannot argue with the thing that we thought was going to destroy us has actually revitalized the American Jewish community in ways we won't understand for another 20 years. Incredible. The, the thing... That really strikes me, though, about I mean, that's what really strikes me. But yeah. the second most interesting thing about those surveys, I think it was the Pew because it was about other religions in America. 22 percent identified as none, no religion. So they call them the nuns, no. which whatever. We have no religion. And I do think that spirituality is something that a lot of humans naturally yearn for. Like a connection to tradition and spirituality. And I think what we see in a lot of our interfaith couples is a non-Jewish person who's one of those. He's like, I don't have much, but I would really like something. And, you know, Judaism gives you something. I don't know. That's what I say about my ceremonies. I'm like, listen, it's at least something good to start with, because what else are you going to do? You're going to go stand in front of people and then what? <laughs> so the, the structure is good, I think. So you told me that you have some opinions that you love sharing and reflections about interfaithness. Yeah. As a way of of personal and spiritual growth. So that's really why I started on this whole rant with you because yeah. I wanted to hear what you had to say.
0: Great. So I think, you know, my journey with this started young because my parents did holidays and nothing else. Okay. Um so there was no spirituality in my young childhood. Um we went to like the JCC and did some holidays with community. So there was community. That was nice. Okay. Um but but yeah there there wasn't like faith as I would define it and that left like this big space for me to come to it with a sense of openness. Later in my life when I wanted to explore what I believed, um even though I had done both religions, I didn't feel like it had been decided for me what I would believe really. And, and like, and I think that even within a religion, like each person who practices does get to like have a journey with what they believe. Um, and so like I did a lot of reading and, um, that was when I came to sort of believe that I was not in the theistic Believing tradition myself Um, and then then it's been like a long journey throughout my adulthood to figure out like what my actual beliefs are, which are really hard to explain to a three-year-old. Let me tell you, my daughter is three and I have like a great, like I know what I believe and it is very entertaining. My daughter goes to a a Chabad preschool. (laughs) And so like. That's, I think um, that like
1: Jewish tradition, we have a tradition of never answering questions. We just ask more questions.
0: Yeah. And I, and I answer her. I just like, she asks me where God is. And I'm like, uh, like ev- every, everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I'm like, she's like, but where is he? And I'm like, well, I don't believe that he's a he. It's <laughs> <laughs> like she's three. Like, like we need to go back
1: several steps. <laughs> several
0: steps. Anyhow. Um, and I'm like, but it's okay because every believe people believe different things. And your t- what your teachers say, I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just not what i Anyhow, yeah, well,
1: and you can model that difference of belief and that we're all still Jewish. And right. I think that's such a healthy thing for her.
0: Yeah. And just, I'm just confusing her on the like base but on the essentials, but it's okay. But to go it's back okay. with interfaithness, what I think is exceptional is it puts just a little tiny bit of space between what we do and who we are. So If you say what I do is who I am, like this lens, this is my eyeballs, right? Judaism is my eyeballs and I can only see through this. And then if that is your perspective, maybe you're not falling in love with someone of a different faith. Like maybe that's like not happening, but if Judaism is your glasses and you're like, I need my glasses to see all the time, but you have a different set of glasses and now I can see something different. Like... I'm still going to wear my glasses most of the time, but now I know other people wear other glasses and I'm going to like, I'm going to invite that perspective to share my, like my life to help shape my life. Like suddenly something that you've seen the same all the time just becomes open for investigation. And I think that like, for me, what was missing even though there was like talk about like, oh, Jews always question and whatever. But like in my family practice of religion, there were not a lot of questions and there was not an exposure to like the depth and breadth of kinds of practice. And it was just like, this is how we do it. And like, I think it's just an an antidote to this is how we do it. Um, Because when you're trying to build like a life together and all of the practical and emotional and spiritual facets that that entails, like to be forced to look a little closer, to be a little Mm -hmm. more thoughtful at all of the major intersections, whether it's like decisions about when you have a baby and what you're doing, Mm -hmm. um, or when you're having your wedding ceremony, I think you actually get a more intimate relationship with your own faith because you're not acting out of habit and you find for me, and this is, again, like, this is not the position of Rabbi Leanne and and your Jewish wedding and all of this, but, like, um, I believe that religion is a really important set of stories and guides that we can use to make sense of the world, Mm -hmm. Um, but just because I don't choose to use another set of stories and guides as my primary resource, like, it really helps me to know that there are a lot of similarities between my stories and guides and everyone else's stories and guides. Like, doesn't that get me to like a better, like I'd rather feel connected with everyone on the planet because we have something in common than feeling only really connected to a small set of people because we have everything in common.
1: If you don't understand the similarities, it's, it's impossible, I think to understand the differences. And so I do think that there's a richness that a lot of people are missing when they only wear the Jewish glasses. Um, I also think what you're describing is in large part growing pains for people just leaving their household and meeting other people and finding out that what they grew up learning was Jewish is actually not exactly the same as other people see it. And I think that that's cool. I think that's okay. But do you think that having a non-Jewish father and having non-Jewish traditions here and there in your household, do you think that that made you more... Do you think that that made that realization easier, that there are different ways, that there are different sets of glasses out there or that you were more um, receptive to learning about those things?
0: I mean, yes. I think that in that I couldn't, the things that were lacking in my parents' sort of spiritual practice, I couldn't say like, oh, well, it's, Mm -hmm. that's a fault in Judaism because it was just, it was both of them in a way, right? right? And then- um. In part, it was the cultural reaction to being interfaith. So like you had kids that would say like, well, you can't be both. And so you kind of double down and you want to know why you're not, why you're fighting for what you're fighting for, but like, well, why is my, is my identity valid? Why is my identity valid? How can I do that? Um, And so it it does make you like a little bit, the questions hit a little deeper that you're asking yourself. When it, I mean there, when there's question when there's questioning outside. There was a lot of wisdom that turned out to be assumptions,
1: right? Like obviously one of them was we everybody's going to assimilate and nobody's going to be Jewish anymore from 2000. Right. And then there was the big thing like you just alluded to like the kids will be confused. And I am planning on doing a whole episode called what about the children because I find right. this so interesting. What I learned I was a rabbi at the Ohio State University for 5 years right after I graduated and I met so many kids who came from marriages just like your that of your parents and i i would sort of ask them in in conversation if it came up i'd be like hey are you confused about what's jewish and what's christian they're like no this is it's i'm fine everything's fine <laughs> you know by and large if you have loving parents i believe it's going to be fine and i do i i agree with what you said about those that different set of glasses opening things up for people and pushing them to learn more about their own faith like for example I do think that we see our Judaism in 2023 or growing up in 20, 2005 or whatever it was as the way Judaism is, that we are, by and large, as, as, a, as a people, not educated at all about the layers of how we got this Judaism. And so, for example, when we see Christian congregations praying with a fervent, um physical devotion, right? You'll see it swaying and hands and tears and, you know, very physical involvement with prayers that can make Jewish people feel kind of weird, I think. It, and I've, I've certainly experienced that. And then you stop and think about, or maybe you find out about the Hasidim who literally did the exact same thing, except they were singing songs about Shabbos. And learning that the physical experience of what we perceive as divine is not strictly one religion and it would be silly to imagine that it is so and I think that like weddings offer for me a really cool window into that also because we have for example I'm working on uh, this the notes for my episode on probably honestly let's be honest one of several episodes on circling you get to the chuppah, you circle. Do you know who else does that? Greeks and Indians. Oh, yeah. I was just at my friend's Indian wedding. Yeah, they do. (laughs) And Indians, even seven times, is what you need to do. And why? We've got Greek Orthodox people, right? We've got Indians from all their various religions and faiths, and Jews who probably got this from medieval Europe. The idea of walking in circles around somebody clearly has some rooting in what it means to be human. So yeah, I don't know, interfaith weddings. (laughs) But most of all, I I just think that being the person who is not scary to approach about your interfaith wedding is something that I really value you for because I think a lot of people probably are scared to contact the Ketuba artist. Have you heard anything like that?
0: Um, I think that there is a general feeling of like, hey, like there's like a timidness. And there's some there's the apologies for sure. I mean, Fiance is yeah. not Jewish, but yeah, but uh, yeah, exactly. Or we don't they don't have Hebrew names or we're not having a rabbi. So um, I'm like that's that's all completely fine. I found part of the messaging for me was like a lot of artists will say like, oh, yeah, we'll do. Any, well, do anyone's good too about or like, oh, if you're Jewish, whatever, and like, and it felt kind of like a, oh yeah, you can come to, like, kind of thing, and I was like, no, I'm gonna be like top line. This is who I'm here for, and like, hopefully that reduces some right. of that. You invitation. can
1: come to versus like a truly interfaith experience,
0: and a lot of that was so my brother-in-law said he's a rabbi, his wife is Catholic, like practicing Catholic, like the kids. What? Kids go to Sunday school and Hebrew school. Wow. And so um, I was talking to them about like what they would have liked to have seen. Um, and they have like an intercultural marriage too. He grew up in the States. She grew up in Sri Lanka. And I was like, what would you have liked to have seen? Because they ended up making their own Katiba. And I was like, and they were like, express, like we celebrate, like we love this thing that you are doing. Not, it's okay. <laughs>
1: Oh, you mean what would they have liked to have seen from seen the people they were they talking were, to? Yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. When they
0: were looking for a rabbi when they were looking for maybe a ketub artist or whatever, um, was like... Like how exciting. Yeah, exactly. We are here for you. <laughs> so.
1: Right. So professionals out there, wedding professionals who are working in a primarily Jewish space or a space that's primarily another religion, but you see often you see Jews, just take this advice to heart it can make all it can make a world of difference for a couple when they're met with. This is so exciting. I'm so happy for you. Can you tell me more about the interfaith nature of this rather than it's okay. We'll make it work or like, you know, whatever. Have you ever had like Jesus in a ketubah?
0: I think one time. And how did? was that like a shocker for you? So for me, yes. When it came in, because like for me, there's still like there's the set of people that are going to be looking for this. And I just imagine that it's like there's not a lot of overlap in that. Like we we mention the word Christianity or Catholicism or Episcopalianism is on a lot of them because we have an interfaith text that gives space. So we'll say, okay, we'll build a home and family guided Ooh. by Jewish and blank. Wow. We've okay. had every blank tradition. Good. Name it. Yes. Um, but I think only one has outright mentioned Jesus. And I will say, like, I really appreciate like, this is another like to me, like this is a very millennial reference, but I'm a big Glennon Doyle person. Yes, um, <laughs> And I feel good about including that because I love how she talks about Jesus. Enlighten and us. So, I have not. I
1: don't know what you're talking about.
0: OK, she she just talks about like that, like the Jesus that she follows is not the Jesus of like church. She's mm-hmm. like Jesus is there for the people that have been left behind. Like um very much. And so like again like even though I grew up sometimes going to church because of my dad's family, it was my it wasn't until my adult life that I started to think like, oh, it's interesting to learn about that. Oh, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that it's rare because even in on the Jewish side of a ketubah, we're not putting like it's not a prayer. Correct. So, yes. So that's where there's not a parallel to ma- match. If it were, I think I'd get that more. But since it's not a prayer, it's like a practical commitment.
1: Yeah, it's not. Like a we're parent. not
0: we're not naming.
1: We don't even talk about God in a ketuba, do we? Right? There's no, no mention. No, it's it's
0: more of like a document. Right. And I think in the Jewish tradition, but it's not like it's not I don't want to say it's not religious, but it's not. um, Yeah, it's not like theology.
1: Yeah, I think it's the way I explain it a lot of times that it's culturally significant because it's a way of record keeping. In a, a Jewish reality where we have always been forced to abandon our homes or wherever we've made our homes or wherever we've settled down, and so taking the time to write something out, and I really emphasize as when I check ketubas that the time and and the day and the place and the the names are right, because you want to make your mark in the heritage of our people, and that's really what for a lot of people, that's kind of what moves them about it is like, Oh, like, yeah. And, and I think the non-Jewish person too, a lot of times is moved by that because they'll, we'll talk about their Hebrew name and I'll give them choices. And there's this, I, there's this sense of, Oh, I'm included in this. And I think that we have so much collective as, as millennials, which I'm an elder (laughs) millennial, barely, um, (laughs) barely, but, um, I think we have so much collective trauma as a Jewish generation because between those years, 2000 to 2020, there was this very strong message that even if you marry a Jewish person and you're not Jewish, your our attitude towards you is that you are a liability to be mitigated and not an asset that will make us stronger. And people grow up with that. They've heard people at Seder talking about so-and-so who married this Catholic lady. And isn't that a shame? And like, probably the kids will be okay though. And all kinds of stuff that it's so ingrained in them. So I think the work that religious wedding professionals have ahead of us, which I would include you and and myself, because they're the ritual Jewish objects that that affect um, the wedding and the ceremony. And also those people, gosh, what's her name? She makes... um, she makes stuff out of the wedding glass, like
0: you know. Oh, I don't know the
1: yeah, like her like thing is. Jewish Marcella, wedding. hi Marcella, yeah, it's Marcella. <laughs> but I think that that's for me. I've been really working on on discerning. That's a that's a Catholic word, discerning. What's my <laughs> What's my purpose? Because I think everybody eventually searches for their why, right? And just working with these couples over the past couple years and hearing over and over again, the implicit apology and the hedging and the dismissing of the non-Jewish part of the couple that I hope that as a part of my career going forward, that I can just put encouragement of people in interfaith relationships at the forefront. And, And maybe, maybe by the time our kids are getting married that will be a little different.
0: There's, there's so much exciting space to me in the Jewish world, because, you know, the statistics are very scary. If you work at a congregation, like (sighs) in terms of maintaining the status quo, the status quo is, is just gone, like, is just gone to me. Like what we grew up with is not going to be to me what our kids grow up with. But like, as someone who didn't fit in that space like that is thrilling to me like there are I don't want to say experimental but there are like reconstructionist groups and humanist groups near me and like I think if people are having to build a little bit of like what is the community that I want and I see a million like this is one space that Instagram is really inspiring for me there are so many like college groups and young adult groups that are like really people are trying to align with like okay, I want to claim my Jewish identity. I want to practice this. Practice this. I want to learn about these traditions, mm-hmm. like all these traditions that were never mentioned. Like I want to try them on and figure out how I'm going to build my life and keep this part that's meaningful to me and build it. And like, if we're all, I don't want to say we're starting from scratch because we have like a huge history, but if we're starting with like this richness and mm-hmm. we're taking away... I don't want to say we're taking away institutions. That sounds pretty scary, but. Well, we're taking away the. Evolve, yeah. or are having to evolve because mm-hmm. across the board, right? Christian, Jewish, everyone, like people are just joining or being less congregationally yes. inclined. Then, like, what are we going to build from this with our kids that is like more inclusive, more mm-hmm. joyful, and um, in a way, even like more richly rooted yep. in the reality of the traditions? So.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're not in this space quite yet, but I, I have four children and my youngest, God willing, um, is becoming a bat mitzvah. She'll turn 12 in April and her bat mitzvah ceremony is scheduled for October. And the sizes of the b'nai mitzvah classes, meaning all the kids who are going to become bar bat mitzvah and celebrate in that year, have shrunk across the board. Reform conservative synagogues so astoundingly that it honestly... Takes my breath away, like kids who I've known their parents since they were your daughter's age in preschool, kindergarten together, were talking about their kids being a mitzvah, which would be eight years from now, who have now just not done it, is it, it? It is a little breathtaking, and I have seen synagogues in our area start to adapt to that in kind of incredible ways. It's obviously a whole other episode, but the other thing that It's happening a little bit. Like in our house, we have um, a Friday night open house policy. So kids come here and a lot of kids have um, just sort of mentioned, like, by the way, I'm Jewish or whatever, and really started learning about Jewish stuff like at their friends' houses. And I'm telling them, well, you can maybe have an aliyah at our youngest bat mitzvah and then that can be your bat mitzvah too. And they're like, but I'm not 12. And they're learning so many things about like, well, that's really not what it's about and all that because we coasted on that american judaism paradigm for so long and now it's finally becoming unsustainable the incredible thing to me is also i i feel it the conservative movement is going to allow interfaith marriages soon i feel it within 5 years it's going to become a serious conversation that's pretty significant it's pretty significant especially considering the positions that they were publishing you know just 20 30 years ago so i think that ultimately Judaism, obviously, our most important focus always is life. And I think that that obviously is why we're still here, but we have such a strong instinct for survival that we will ultimately adapt to all this too. But what I'm afraid of in in the interim is that we will lose a bunch of people because they're just scared of rabbis and synagogues and, and, and. So, for any interfaith couples who are out there listening and who are just maybe you're hate listening to the Your Jewish Wedding podcast because you came on. Maybe you're hate listening because you wanted to come on and maybe prove to yourself why it was the right decision to not get a ketubah or why it was why your instincts were totally right. That like, oh, rabbis are trash. Whatever. <laughs> I Listen, p- please. Um, Have lot- so much free time. <laughs> I do do think, I mean, do you never hate listen or hate read
0: anything? Not since I had a kid. Like if, okay, if I, I don't know, man,
1: if I really hated a TV show, I will go online to try to find other people who hated it just for vindication. Okay. So like, that's, it makes me feel, makes me feel like not crazy. Right. Like Ted Lasso. Okay. Anyway. But I think that it it can cause a lot of pain for people who grew up in a jewish house to find themselves in an engagement where they really they're probably not going to have a jewish wedding and they're but there's something inside of them that's like but should you, though? And so maybe they're like, let me go listen to this bigoted mean rabbi talk about Jewish weddings and how we're not welcome. OK, if you're one of those people so that I'm confirmed in my decision that, like, I'm making the right choice. Right. I think that's a human impulse. Um, I'm not telling you you have to have a Jewish wedding. And Becca is not here to tell you that you have to have a ketubah to be valid or or even that you can't decide later to get a ketubah mm-hmm. for your first anniversary or 10th anniversary or whatever. But just to say um, we want you as part of the jewish community and you are part of the jewish community no matter what you do no there's no check boxes there's no requirements um we're just we're just glad you're here so um if you need to hear confirmation that you shouldn't be having a jewish wedding or ketubah you came to the wrong place sorry okay <laughs> so I know that we're getting to the end of an hour and I know that your time is important and I want to respect it. I wanted I have a couple more fun, fun, less heavy questions right now. Go for it. Maybe I'll put it in the timestamp that if you want to hear less heavy conversation, fast forward to here. <laughs> OK, fluffy. have you ever seen one of your ketubas signed
0: in person? No. no, not when ever I Saw that you had that question in the notes. I racked my brain and I was like, well, no. Oh, my God. That's tr- not true. No. So I made a ketubah for a family member. Um, so I wasn't there for the signing, but I was there to see it displayed. Weren't right there for the signing. Well, it's it wasn't like a super close family member.
1: <laughs> Becca, I was also real, pregnant. Though. oh fine okay yeah
0: (laughs) but but yeah I don't that wasn't like a thing um but no I mean this is the kind of crazy thing about the internet and we're sort of shifting the business a little bit um because I love the couples that we work with like every couple that I get to have a conversation with I'm like oh my god these are my people like I I'm not going to share all the details but like they're just amazing it's such a cliche in the wedding industry the photographer's like I love my couples and they're like they're pretending we're not pretending we love you we love you they're really good people. Like I just, just a quick example. I sent out my first email newsletter. I don't like email marketing. And so I sent out my first one and it was not even a newsletter. Cause I personally sent every one to the people. And it was just the most, it was like, it's really hard to know what to say right now. Where are you going for information? Are you okay? Like oh. th- that was pretty much it. And I had someone respond that for the last five years, He's been doing a podcast with Israeli and Palestinian voices what? looking at the conversations that are not been being had. He said, I don't know if this is helpful to you, but this is what I've been doing with my life for the last five years. And oh, thanks. Our Ketuba got framed last week. It's beautiful. Are you like, how did I not do this? And I was like, and just like every time I have a conversation or a consult, I'm like, let's, how can we wrap it, you in to this so that yeah. people Just community. Um, But that being said, like a lot of the relationships I have with couples are still just like they buy something online and then we make it and we don't have that dialogue. So we're Mm. shifting to like more of a consult based. Our personalization is going to be consult based so that we talk to everyone just because I want to talk to everyone. Yeah. (laughs) You want to know.
1: Yeah. You want to have that person. I mean, obviously, art is an act of creation. And so any piece of art that you create if it has part of you and your connection with a couple in it, it will be stronger. I believe that. I really do. I am, I'm sorry. I, I asked because when I have signed Ketuba, when I have been at at Kachubas signing ceremonies and tagged the artist, the artist's reaction is always so intense. And I'm like, it's just, you do this all the time. Why are you so, (laughs) but, but what they find is that people don't think through to like tag them. And, and so that they can see that moment. Like I had one um, by Nava Shoham and I sent her like just a video of them signing. It was not a big deal. And she was like, you don't understand how much this means to me, like how incredible. And so I if you are listening to this, tell your wedding planner to please like, you know, include your Katuba designer on your tags in all of your posts, not not for promo. Like we're not trying to make you advertise for them, but it really is. It's a it's a labor of love. And for them to be able to see that in action is just so incredible, especially when it's halfway across the world, you know, because what better way to to find your connection with the Jewish community than to have your ketubah designer from Florida that you're signing a ketubah she made for you in Amsterdam. And wow, isn't this an incredible, an incredible little religion, right? Um, okay, so... We already talked about memorable custom ketubas, but if you think of anything else, listen, we might have a part two. It I really like Becca. I'm enjoying talking to Becca a lot. Sometimes you have an interview and it's like, it's not so much there. You know what I mean? We, we've we yeah, got it. This is I my think... first podcast, but I, but I like oh, you Would you like to be on more podcasts? I would be thrilled. Oh,
0: wow. Okay. So you heard it here. You're the second one of my <laughs> guests who
1: said that. Oh, I'm not on many podcasts. Why are people not calling you? I don't know. Anyway, well,
0: I just have been high. OK, so I had a really young kid and I've been hiding behind my work for three years. So I'm climbing okay. out from the from the hole and um, and I'll be out in the world more. Are you
1: doing are you OK? Yeah, yeah you're <laughs> yeah. OK. I didn't do well with little children. I was not OK for like 10 years straight. I,
0: I loved the baby phase. Loved it way more. never expected that thought that I was just going to be in a fog. Loved it. Okay. Toddler has gotten me. I am a quiet in my head person. My daughter talks from like plays started playing pretend at 18 months and hasn't stopped. Um
1: just yeah, yeah. And so, had one, I had
0: one of those, yeah. So I, I I mean, oh my god, she is everything, but like I do not the energy, I'm not like there's not enough. I don't drink coffee. <laughs> so
1: oh my goodness.
0: Right now I literally am eating Trader Joe's coins of the world. The best gelt, I don't know why they couldn't. Is it really?
1: So oh, now I should
0: go. We're on our third bag. It's not Hanukkah yet. <laughs> it's basically um, Hanukkah. You're but fine. That's, that's how I'm getting going. But yeah, no, I think she started school this year. So um, it's okay. Good okay
1: all right good thanks I, so I you want you working, to say so I feel like I well, are you good <laughs> I say well I'm good now yeah for teenagers but I say this to a lot of people who I sort of like tangentially know and that includes my listeners if you are feeling any kind of way about parenthood or or especially motherhood in in those postpartum years where everything is a wild card and you feel like you can't talk to your family or your friends because they will judge you or maybe they'll pass it on and maybe there will be gossip. You can talk to me because I don't know any of your people. Even if I wanted to gossip about you, I couldn't. (laughs) And I've been there and I I remember very vividly a lot of the struggles. So if anybody out there is listening and you guys, you want to talk to somebody and just unload, call Rabbi Leanne. We'll, We'll get you. Last question for you. What do you wish that you could say about ketubahs to every couple planning a Jewish or interfaith wedding. This is your message, your megaphone moment.
0: It's a piece of art, not a product. So if it matters to you to have one, even if you like, I encourage you to make, like do the research and make it yourself, like do it in the way that feels right to you and try to separate the decision-making from the wedding planning, the shopping, like, it's an act of co-creation with you and your partner and maybe also an artist or someone in your community that you love. Um, and just, yeah, come to it with that perspective. Give you yourself space
1: to be in that in that headspace. Maybe it sounds like date night to me. Yeah, for sure. It's right. We're always looking for date night ideas. You don't need to go throw axes or go to the conservatory or whatever. You just make it a Ketuba date and you will. It's a little bit like like therapy too, I imagine, because you're getting right down to it. It's good stuff. Okay, you've already told us about the some of the incredible resources available on your website. There's a guide to writing your own kachuba, which honestly, I have that in my notes of episodes I would like to do. I think you're probably more knowledgeable about it than I am, so I might tap you for that or I might I, I might just run through thrilled. your
0: guide. Yeah. We, yeah, there's there's other resources. I'm like I don't want to tease everything we're working on right now because we have a lot okay, of problems, yeah. But like, don't worry about a it. a lot of good resources.
1: If you out. ever want to come back on and talk about new things, you Yeah. You're, I mean, it's a it's a lock. It's it's not even a question. Um, obviously. Um, but so they can go
0: to your site. What is that site? Foreverypaper.com. Okay. If you slash text options, that will link you to our guide. Oh,
1: wonderful. And forevery is spelled like forever ie paper yeah. dot com. And that's also your handle on Instagram, is that right? It is at foreverekatuba. At foreverekatuba. Okay. And obviously if anybody's listening to this, it will be in the show notes, but you've heard it here. Becca is not scary. And even if you're not sure that you want one of her ketubahs, she wants to talk to you about your ketubah, no matter where it ends up coming from, because we are slowly discovering a network of Jewish wedding professionals that want you to feel as connected as you would like to be to your tradition, your heritage and your faith. As well as the same thing for your partner because you deserve that. and I don't want you all to
0: settle for anything less. So thank you, Becca. anything else you want to add? Nope, I think that's it for today. I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm listening to all of your episodes because you I really be sending people to your guides because it is great to really like get the facts before you make the choices and I think you're putting them out there in an awesome way. Thank you. I have a certain kind of voice which, it's not
1: for everyone, but <laughs> if you're the kind of person who likes to approach things um, from all kinds of angles, you know, I was ordained by the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College. So that's my instinct is like, what happened in history or whatever? Or what's even a ketubah for? Anyway, uh, yeah. And we are hoping that this will be the first of many episodes with Becca. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Well, everyone, I have had the best time being your rabbi for this episode. I'm so glad you joined me for another little bit of insight into planning your perfect Jewish or interfaith wedding. Until you can smash that glass on your big day, you'd might as well smash that subscribe button for this podcast. I don't want you to miss a single thing. Remember, you can always find me, Rabbi Leanne, on Instagram at at Your Ohio Rabbi, all one word, for even more tips, tricks, recommendations and wisdom on Jewish weddings. If you want to work with me on your wedding, you'll find all the info you need at yourohiorabbi.com. Until next time, remember, you deserve the perfect wedding for you. Don't settle for
0: anything less.